Before we jump into the message today, just want to inform you that uh, we've been praying about something for about four and a half years. Uh, this opportunity that God placed on our doorstep uh, about four and a half, five years ago. And it was an opportunity for us to, to jump into, and we sought the Lord about it, and it became a goal. In fact, in 2012, it was on our goal list here at Grace, and many of you prayed for that. We didn't go into detail exactly what it was for, but it was the name of a person on this list, and, and we've been praying. We've been praying for four and a half years that God would give us an opportunity to um, secure this opportunity, and it was great to see over these years the number of times that we prayer circled around this opportunity, the times we went before God and asked Him, still believing that this is what He had in store for us, and that He... The, the desire never went away, and we began to pray. Uh, just yesterday, I um, had the opportunity to um, be there, and th- this opportunity came to realization for us. And uh, so today, after the service, um, I'll be sending out a letter to members first. We'd love to elevate our members and let them be informed first. And you'll, you'll be receiving an email uh, from me. That will go into detail exactly what that is. Uh, it's very exciting. And then not this Thursday, but next Thursday night in the link at 6 o'clock, we'll have a meeting to, if you want to come out after reading the email, that might be enough for you, but to cast some more vision for this. And for those of you, the rest of us, we're all family together. For those of you who call Grace their home, uh, as soon as we pass that on to our members, uh, we'll pass it on to you because we, we know you've been praying and caring too. And it is so incredible how God has come through. I'll leave it at that. So uh, you'll find out this afternoon, if you remember. And uh, you'll find out um, uh, later on uh, if you attend. But it is great news. Uh, and uh, I didn't sleep a wink last night because of it. But I'm thanking God for the way he has come through for Grace Community Church. So put that aside. Uh, don't try to go down five million paths. And uh, we are on a journey together uh, being all in. It's this quest. And uh, today we're going to address one of the most illogical examples in Scripture. You might even read this account and hear this account today and be upset about it. You might even um, look at this account and say that that's impossible. You might say that, that I shouldn't do that for anybody. You might be the recipient of this kind of grace. And so we're going to go on this journey. And I'm going to ask you to be people who give grace to others, but as importantly, give it to you. Sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves, and if we're going to be the people that Christ wants us to be this year, then we have to extend grace to ourselves. All too often, we think that we're not enough, that we've done too much, that our our past are too checkered, that this list of things that we've done wrong are in our past, and so it disqualifies us, that there's something about us. We have too much baggage. But I'm here to tell you this, that Christ came and he died not only for your present, he died for your past, he died for your baggage, he died for your skeletons, he died for everything, and his grace covers that. And it allows us to march into 2016 setting aside that past. I, you know, I, some of us think uh, that, that, that you've done too much of wrong things and that, that you don't have enough good things. You haven't done enough good things. Well, Christ is more than enough. And because of the grace that he gives us, we are able to do more than we ever thought we were because of the grace that he gives us. Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this video. 
Jealousy was the struggle Haunted a ghost that lived in my past Bound up in shackles of all my failures This prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight. It's already been won. And I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe I'm not who I used to be I am redeemed I'm redeemed All my life I have been called unworthy blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and those of us who receive salvation by grace through faith, the blood of Jesus on us declares us righteous. And so when Christ looks at us, we are declared righteous, blameless in his sight. Grace allows us to take a new step into this 2016 knowing that that Christ has forgiven us. Christ doesn't remember our sins anymore. Christ has set us on new ground. And because of that, we can live in a way that we've never lived before. Sometimes that's hard to receive ourselves. Sometimes grace is more easy to give to others than it is to give to ourselves. And so today we're going to go on a journey. Of probably the most, one of the most illogical examples of grace ever recorded 
in the pages of Scripture. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand today. Turn to Hosea chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3 of Hosea. When you find that, stand with me, and we'll read it out loud together. And Just stand with us as we read God's Word. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. You may have a seat. Grace looks forward and not backwards. Grace looks at a situation, a person, an individual. It looks at your life. It looks forward of who we can become in Christ instead of looking backwards of what has taken place. Grace reminds us that the slate has been cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ and by forgiveness of his son. Grace reminds us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unright. Grace frees us from the baggage from from the ghosts that want to haunt us from the past, and it sets us on new ground so that we can look forward and be all that Jesus wants us to be in 2016. In order for us to be able to be all in, we must give grace to others so that they can, and we must receive grace and give ourselves grace. Right away, we see that Hosea is commanded to marry. In fact, it says that God spoke to him to go and marry an adulterous woman. Look at verse 2 again. Look at Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous, an adulterous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So we see right away that this woman that he was going to marry by the name of Gomer was, is, an adulterous, promiscuous woman. Her purity had already been taken from her. But I love the picture of grace here. Hosea was a prophet. Hosea would get a word from the Lord, and then he would go and preach this word. They would show up, he'd get a word from the Lord, and he would speak. And so many people would gather around him, and as he spoke, people would listen. He was a single man up to this point, on a mission to be a deliverer of God's truth. He was a pastor to his people. And so pastors' voices were heard. He was God's voice to mankind. So God spoke to him, not just a message to preach, but he said, go and marry a promiscuous, a a sexually immoral woman, an adulterous woman. So he spoke to him, and we see that Hosea, listen, he's going to reach out to Gomer at her worst and take her hand in marriage. He probably thought, like any man would, that gets a prearranged marriage from God, that, you know, God, if this is what you think is best for me, then it must be going to be better than what her past was. If I follow you, 
if I listen to you, if you're arranging this marriage, then I, I know, because he's human. Then, Lord, this must be a good marriage. So if you prearrange this from the foundation of the world, then in my mind, God, somehow, some way, even though her past is checkered, even though there's skeletons in her past, even though it's, it's littered with adultery and, and promiscuity, I am going to marry her and she's going to be different. Because, God, why would you have me marry someone that has a past that you are not going to allow to be different in this marriage. So we see that he probably thought that. And so look again, look what it says in chapter 1. Look at, look at verse 2. It says, the Lord spoke to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. And then in verse 3 it says, so he married Gomer, daughter of Deblaine, and she conceived and bore a son. God saw the potential in Gomer. God saw something in her that others didn't see. God had already seen her past, witnessed her future, and said, Hosea, you're the one to marry this woman. It's a striking example of grace. Hosea is about to do the same. He is going to make the most of the situation by extending grace to a checkered past that a woman had. But grace does that. God does that for us all the time. He walks into our lives and he looks at our past and he gives us grace. And because of that grace, we're able to march on. He breathes life into people that most think are dead. Think about that for a second. That's one of the best ways that grace is extended. God looks at people differently. He sees them through the lenses of the cross. When he looks at us, we're covered by the righteousness of Jesus. He chooses not to remember our sins anymore when we confess and forgive it. So he sees us through the lenses of the cross. And he extends and breathes life into people that most think are dead. Can you imagine the wedding, by the way? First, imagine the wedding invitations that come to the house. Now they come a year ahead of time. Said, so save the date. Imagine this date coming. You go to your mailbox and there's this invitation. It's, it's Hosea. And, and, you know, he was a single guy. And probably his people that followed him. And listen, they, they probably tried to set him up hundreds of times. Like, it's about time you get married, isn't it, boy? I mean, you're a man of God. Why aren't you married? And so he probably had people trying to set him up. And so when they went out to their mailbox, they pulled out this card. And on the front, it's the, the mailing address, return address, was Hosea, son of Beery. And they're like, Hosea's getting married. Woo! And they're excited. And they flip it over to the other side. I wonder who he's married. I bet it's, I bet it's the girl that sits in the third row that's single. I, 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 no, no, no. I know the one. She comes to prayer meeting. She always prays. It's, it, it's the leader of the training camp. No, no. It, it's the director of the women's. It's this, this. And they probably, and they turn it over. Hosea, son of Beery, marrying Gomer. Can you imagine the, well, wait a minute. Isn't she the hooker down on the corner? Is this like, like, is this a joke? Like, and now it says, Hosea, son of Viri, marrying Gomer. And then down at the bottom, this handwritten note by Hosea, please come. It's a word from the Lord. He told me to marry her. 
And I'm going to marry her and give her my best. Please come to our wedding. I wonder in that moment, like I wonder in that moment across the streets here, how many people began with these eyeballs of judgment saying, what is going on? Did he really hear from the Lord about this? Make no mistakes. They will have difficult days ahead. And they will have moments of doubt as every marriage does. But he heard from the Lord. You are to marry Gomer, the adulterous, promiscuous woman. You see, when I think about this, I often wonder what it was like for him. I wonder what it was like when he went to his father, son of Beery, and he, and he walked to his room and he says, Dad, I'm getting married. His father's excited because he's proud of his son. He's excited about his son. He says, sit down, son. Tell me, who is she? Who is we, your, your mother and I, we've been praying for years for this woman. Sit down, tell us, tell us everything. Tell us how, how you met her. Tell, tell us where, where she's from. Tell us about her family. Tell, tell, did she go to college? Did, is, 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 is she respected in the street? Is, is she a woman of God? And, and so Zaya began to unpack, no dad, no mom. She's promiscuous and she's an adulterer. And she's got a checkered past. And, but he looks at his dad Son of Beery, he says, God told me to marry this woman. And I heard from God, I'm going to marry her. And I got to believe in that moment, like, like as any father, imagine fathers, imagine, imagine right now, your son, who's marrying age, imagine you want the best for your son. I want, we want the best for our sons. Imagine, imagine if you can or if you will, like, like, like your sons are going to marry the promiscuous woman on the streets, the adulterer, and, and he comes and he says, Dad, Mom, I'm marrying her. Would you be open to that if God had called your son to that? Aren't we trying to get the perfect? We want to have the perfect son and the, and the perfect daughter. And, and are, are, are you setting aside People, because of their past, are you freezing them in their past? Even though they've been forgiven? Even though that God has died for their sins? Even though they're clean slate? Have you frozen them there to say, they can never be worthy of my son or daughter? I believe as a father, that's the things that he thought about. I believe as a mom, that's what she thought about. And I believe that Hosea thought, this is going to be really good because, listen, God arranged this wedding. It's got to be good, huh? If God picked her out of all the women, all the women here, all of them, if God picked her out, she must be something else. Well, look what happens after he marries her. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Verse 4, it says, verse 3, it says, So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley 
of Jezreel. Let me just give you some context here. It's very important. Names really meant something during this time. Hebrew names were, were significant. And so when a, when a mom or dad found out that, that, that mom was conceiving, they, they would search scripture. They would search names and, and they would look at the root of the name. And then they, they would name their child to come this name. And then if this was the name, they would begin to pray this name over their children. So it's not like, oh, I just like the sound of that name, or, or that's in the top ten list of popular names, or, or I'm Irish, so I'm going to have an Irish name. It was just, they, 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 they look at these names, and then they said, this is what we're going to pray over our child. This is what we want our child to be. I can think of Ann and I as we named our children and thought about the names, Joshua, Hannah, and Isaiah. The Lord is my salvation. Jehovah saves, a woman of grace. So we've been praying those names over our children. And so we named them. We, we, we like the name because of what they meant. And so we've been praying over it. Now imagine, if you can, God's coming and he's saying, okay. He says, Gomer, look what he says. He says in verse 4 again, he said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. You know what Jezreel means? Jezreel means God's judgment is coming on you. So every day, now think about this. Every day, as he looked at his son, he knew what his name meant. And he would call Jezreel, and he called him to, to the breakfast table, and he said, hey, Jezreel, supper's ready. Mom's yelling, and Jezreel would come. And every time they said his name, it was a reminder that the judgment is coming on you. And every time when he sat in the classroom as a first grader, second grader, and third grader at the beginning of the year, and the teacher would check off attendance, and, 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 and she would read through the names, and, and she'd say, Jezreel, son of Hosea. And the whole class would look like, who would name a son that? Judgment boy. Guess what? There's going to be a day where he's going to scatter and judge you. Imagine as they pick teams out on the, 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 the desert soccer field, and they lined him up, and, and then no one would pick Jezreel. Judgment is coming. Who wants judgment, boy, on their team? You can't win with him. And so every day of this young boy's life, it was a reminder, not only to him, but to everyone within distance, because when someone heard a name during this time, they knew exactly what it meant. I wonder... If he ever asked God, Lord, what did I do to deserve a son called Jezreel? What? I just obeyed you. I was obedient. You spoke to me. Now, why are you giving me a son that means judgment is coming on you? Who would ever name their son Jezreel? So he was born. And they continued to be married. And then the text says this. Look at Hosea chapter 1 and verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horse or horseman. But I, the Lord, their God, will save them. Think about this. Now, guys, think about Think this from a father's perspective and a mother's perspective. He says, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah. Doesn't every daughter want to be loved by her dad? Think about this for a second. A girl's view of God 
Is, is, is her view often of how she sees her father and how her father has treated her. So every day as she got up and she went to school and she went about and he would yell, Lo, Ruhama! And she would come running and everyone would look and say, You're not loved by your father. Can you imagine her thoughts? Being a girl, a precious daughter, and God's telling him, Nate, that's the name. Can you imagine Hosea saying, God, what are you doing? Doesn't every father love his daughter? Imagine as she got her name called in school. and Imagine the time she spent in the evenings and dad coming to her and saying, hey, hello, Rahama. And she would wonder, does dad love me? I think things began to unravel here in this, in this marriage. Hosea was left at home by himself with these judgment babies, and it was too much for, for Gomer to, to, to handle. And I believe that during this time and, and then after this, that the temptations of her past began to surface, and the enemy began to step in and speak these lies to her. And somewhere along this path, she began to, to fall into temptation. And I believe that during this time, old habits returned. And instead of working it out, Hosea poured himself into being a preacher. He came Sunday after Sunday. He brought, he brought that God will judge the judgment board. And he brought the, the daughter that wasn't loved. And he would bring her. And they would sit up front. And he would preach because he heard from the Lord. Yet his wife wasn't anywhere to be seen. And I, I'm sure the, the, the congregation, the people began to whisper. He tells us how to be a good dad yet, yet, and a good husband. He says we should be. Yet, yet his wife is out sleeping with other men. Like, how can we listen to him? And do you ever think there was a time he was saying, God, what did you do? God, what did I do to deserve this? There's no doubt in my mind that he spent hours on his knees asking God why. And I'm sure he spent hours praying for his wayward wife. And for all the eyes of judgment from the people of God. As if that wasn't enough. I mean, read on. This, this is... This is what the word of God says. I mean, look at verse 8. After she had weaned lo Rahama, Gomer had another what? What's it say? Then the Lord said, call him lo Ami, which means not my what? For you are not my people, and I am not your what? Look again at verse, look what it says. The Lord said, call him lo Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. It's the worst kind of news that any husband could ever hear from his wife. It's the worst kind of news that any husband could ever receive. He's looking at it, and I believe from the context and the metaphors that's set up here to stay consistent, he's looking and saying, these are my children. Think about this. He had walked into this marriage. He heard from the Lord. He, he married this woman. And now this child is born. Lo, Ami, for you are not my people. It's the worst kind of news. He's looking and saying, you're not even my son. You, you were conceived by another man. God, what are you doing? Imagine if you were Hosea. You're looking at these kids and you're, you're wondering, is she my daughter? Is he my son? He's not my son. And you began to ask these questions like, God, what did I do to deserve this? 
can you imagine as this boy began to grow up and go into school? And he went into class and the teacher read off his name? Lo, Ami. Illegitimate boy. Conceived out of wedlock. Adulterous child. Can you imagine the eyes that were upon him? Can you imagine him thinking, what did I do to have this? You talk about hardships. This broke the camel's back. She just gave up and spent the night in arms of other men. All the time now. Jose is home alone with these kids who are wondering if that's their daddy. He begins to wonder about his calling as a prophet, as a preacher. Screaming to heaven, God, where are you? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been handed this thing so difficult? You ask yourself, what did I do to deserve this? Have you ever wondered why you were the recipient of that? Have you ever wondered what you should do with that? What does God want us to do with that? It's in these moments we do things that only God can enable us to do. Grace is messy. It doesn't make sense. And, and what I'm about to show you and tell you, like, you it, it won't even make sense at all. It'll be illogical. Like, well, that's not what the Christian counselor said. Like, we don't even like reading Jose. Like, we don't even know what to do with. Like, like, if I could just pull out these two pages, I'd feel much better about myself. Yeah, grace is messy. What will Hosea do with these cards? Will he just remain bitter and curse God? Will he die a bitter old man? Or will he hope for better days? You see, my Bible says that God is a God of grace. He's the God of the impossible. But what happens when we begin to listen to the counsel we receive around the water cooler at work? It goes something like this. Tell me about your case. Well, I'd leave him. I leave her. I'd get them for all you can get. And the kids? They're not yours. You're not responsible for them. Send them to mom. Like, advice is cheap. But what does God's word say? So it's something like this inside of us that needs to pull away and not listen to the rumblings around us. The voice you need to listen to is the Holy Spirit. Some of people don't understand. They look at relationships and they see people and every situation is different. I understand that. Yet for the eyes of those watching, sometimes we pull away and we turn over that, that wedding announcement and we say, What? We turn over that, 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 that disillusion in the paper and we say, what? Or we see someone hanging on to the bitter end, giving everything they got, and they fight to the end. And we say, why didn't you leave earlier? Grace goes the extra mile. Grace doesn't make sense. So Isaiah had to deal with some tough stuff. He finds his wife and his marriage at a place he would have never dreamed of. I mean, it was so different than when he said his vows to her years ago. 
when he saw her and she said, for better, for worse, for richer, poorer, in sickness and health, I'll be with you. Never once did he think in that moment that it would look like this years later. But Hosea fights back. He doesn't just throw in the towel. He fights for his wife. Yes, it will be hard, and he will get criticism. And yes, the road ahead will be tough, but he doesn't want to come to the end of his life and say, I didn't try. Maybe you are the one creating damage today. Maybe you're the one receiving damage today. Maybe you're the innocent victim, and you need to go to the leftover box of grace and dump some more out. I wonder how his children felt as mom walked away one more time. I wonder as they saw her leave and it's like, mom, where are you going? Mom, mom, mom. They know their names. You're not my people. And they know that they're smart enough to understand. He might not be my dad. Why'd you leave him with him? Mom, at least you're my mom. Can you imagine what these kids dealt with? The scars. If there was this man by the name of Hosea that went against the grain, that believed that grace is something that should be extended to everyone. Grace doesn't run out of chances. So what's he do? What's Hosea do? What's what's the Bible say he does? Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. It says this. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my what? What's it say? Husband, as at first. Come on, help me out. Follow along with me. Chapter 2, verse 7. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my what? As at first. For then I was better off than now. So here's this woman who's living this adulterous life, who's sleeping around with all these men, who's living with them. She comes even to the end of that. She probably got shoved out. She probably got abused enough. She probably got used enough by these men. She comes to the end. She says, I'll go back to my husband. At least it'll be better than this. Look at what Hosea does in verse 8. She has not acknowledged, Hosea says, that I... Hosea was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they use for Baal. She was with a man who couldn't care for her, so he did it for him. Are you kidding me? Look, here, here, here's the picture. Here's what text says. She was out living with this other man, this adulterous man. Meanwhile, Hosea's back at home with the three kids. It says that he gathers up silver, he gathers up gold, he takes grain, he takes wine and oil, and he goes looking for his wife. And he finds out she's living down on the corner street in the White House. She's living with another man. So you know what he does? He takes his money, he grabs his, his credit card, he goes and knocks on the door. And, and can you imagine, can you imagine this, this, this other man that's there and Gomer's hiding? He looks out, oh no, here comes Hosea. This guy's probably ready for a fist fight. And yet, Hosea knocks on the door. He says, sir, I'm Hosea. I'm the son of Beery. And that woman that's in your house, she's my wife. She's my wife. And I'm married to her. And I want you to know that you're not taking care of her necessities. I want you to know that 
God asked me to take care of her, to provide, to protect, and to care for her needs. And as long as we're married, I'm going to do that. And sir, I want you to know that I'm here to protect and care and be the gatekeeper for my wife. Would you take this silver? Would you take this gold? Would you take this grain? Would you feed my wife? Would you buy her some clothes? Would you protect her, sir? And he hands off. Who would ever do something like that? You know who does? His name is God. And every single day, he comes to our door. And we're living in sin. And he pulls out his charge card from heaven. And, 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 and he, he pays for that. And he pays for this. And he gives grace for that. And he gives grace for that. And he says, I am their God and they are my people. And I will care for my people. Even if they turn their backs on me. I got to believe that Jose never thought that he'd have to walk that sidewalk to this house and his wife was being used and abused and taken advantage of in sex with another man and he still had to care for her needs. See, that's grace. Like, that doesn't make sense, does it? Where do you get that advice? You get that from your Christian counselor? No, you don't. You get that from your best girlfriend? No, you don't. And where you get that from? You get that from God. See, grace doesn't make sense. As I read this again this week, I wonder how often we are Gomer and God is Hosea. He keeps bringing us back and loving us even when we pollute and adulterate our bodies and lives and minds with sin. Yet he keeps knocking on the door of sin in our lives and offers grace. So what happens next? Look, look what he does. I mean, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't unload, finish just with the credit card. Look what else he does. Look at chapter 2 and verse 14. Therefore, he says, I am now going to allure her. Are you kidding me? I will lead her into the wilderness and speak how to her. What's it say? Tenderly to her. Are you kidding me? There I will give her back her vineyards, and and I will make the valley of Achor a door of what? Hope. Are you kidding me? There she will respond as in the days of her youth when I pursued her and she was my bride, as in the day she came out of Egypt. Are you kidding me? Here's this man who, who has three kids. He doesn't even know if they're his kids. Here's this man has this woman who's sleeping with other men. Here's this man that that cares for her necessities, knocks on the door of this lover's house and empties his bank account and says, please take. Now here's this man says, I'm going to meet her in the desert and I'm going to do what I did in the beginning. I'm going to lure her. I'm going to tenderly speak to her and I'm going to love her. And the kids are going to see that daddy is in it to fight till the end. See, the only way you do that is if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2 and verse 19 says this. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. 
chapter 2 and verse 10, it's a reminder of what happened to her. It says, so now I expose her lewdness, and before the eyes of her lovers, no one will take her out of my hands. Shame will come upon her. And to be quite frank, the Old Testament customs during this time, Levitical law was take her to the streets, pick up your stones and stone her, kill her. She's an adulterer. See, we need grace. So what's he do? He goes and he tries to allure her. He tries to win her back. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your what? What is it? How, how often? Again. Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another what? And isn't what? Adulterous. Love her as who loves the Israelites? Though they turn to other gods and love sacred raisin cakes. Are you kidding me, God? Love her again? I know what it got me in the first place. Take a look. I've emptied my bank account caring for her so that, so that she wouldn't have be able, so she could stand on her feet. Now you're asking me to go and lure her back and bring her back again? What in the world are you talking about, God? I can't go through that pain again. She doesn't deserve it. That boss doesn't deserve it. That, that mother, that father, that child, that, that friend, they don't deserve grace. So what's he do? What's he say? Look at chapter 3 and verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. No hesitation, just like Jesus does for us. Love people when they least deserve it. So can you picture the scene at the auction block? Most of us have been to auctions. You go in, you get a number, and you, you hold on to this number. When you want to bid on something, you hold the number up. But this auction wasn't like the auctions that we go to. This was slaves and servants. They would just line up these people like they were flesh and animals. Push them in, push them in. So there's this man that she's living with who was her lover, supposedly, now is tired of having sex with her and abusing her and just using her. He he probably moved on to another woman. He probably thought, I'm going to get my money out of her. So he he sends her to the auction block, signs her in, Gomer, wife of of Hosea, son of Beery. So they they do the registration, and she's sitting in this, this room with all these other just fleshly people just going to be marching out in front, slaves. So it comes out. There she is. She's standing there. and The auctioneer reads off this list. This is Gomer. This is her life. She's, and everyone looks, oh, that's, that's Gomer. We know Gomer. She's the adulterer. She, 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 she sleeps around with men. She left Hosea, the preacher, down at County Road 439 in Jerusalem. Yeah, we read it on U.S. News and Report this week. And there she is. And the judgment eyes, like, who would buy her back? So the bid goes up, and it's five shekels. And someone says, well, I could use her for something, and maybe it was for sex. I don't know. Five shekels, ten shekels. And the auctioneer says, 15. 
And she hears this voice from the back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then someone else bids 15 and a quarter. And then, then, then a, a half leap. 15 and a half, sir. Number 147. 147, sir. And she's slumped over. Shoulders sagging because of this, this, this sin that had just ravaged her body and, and feeling guilt and shame and condemnation. Now she's standing before these people and she recognizes his voice. Fifteen and a half shekels. The auctioneer takes his gavel. Poof, sold to 147. Sold to 147. Sold to 147. Come get your servant. She's standing there and she hears this pitter-patter of feet. She realizes, wow, there's four people. In the back of this room is this man named Hosea. Three kids in tow that probably aren't even his kids. But he's going to be a dad to them. He's walking down this aisle. And as they get closer, the kids look up at dad and say, that's mom, that's mom. And he lets them loose and they go running. Mommy, 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 mommy. Can you imagine that mother's heart? As these kids come and embrace her and she looks up and there's this man, proud as a peacock, rescuing his wife. And he comes up and he wraps his arms around her. He says, I love you. I love you. Isn't that what God does for us every single day of our lives? See, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't compute. Can you picture them 20 years later, walking on the beach hand in hand? I was trying to picture that. Like 20 years later, the kids are grown up. And they're walking on the beach and the kids are in their 20s and they're having a vacation and, and she's got a hold of his hand and they're enjoying the warm sun and they're walking and their feet are in the, the waves that are coming in. And he looks over and he says, Honey, I'm so glad I didn't let you go. It was worth it. Can you imagine 40 years later as, as those kids grow up can you imagine as they have kids and they're sitting in their rocking chairs at Cracker Barrel? <laughs> Can you imagine them seated there and just this beautiful picture of redemption that one man extended grace and saved one, two, three generations? Can you imagine as the great-grandchildren plop up on the lap of Hosea? And he says, let me tell you a story, Sonny, what God's grace can do. What I love about that is this. They never got to see the former Gomer. These grandchildren got to see the redeemed Gomer. Yeah, I think about that a lot. You know my story. My dad and mom got divorced when I was four or five. And, and I remember when dad left, and he's a good man. I don't speak disparagingly about my dad because he is a good man. He was unsaved, and we prayed for my dad to get saved. And for 13 years, 
We prayed, Lord, please save my dad. My sisters and I, we prayed and we prayed. And when I was 18 years old, my dad came to know the Lord as his Lord and Savior. And it was an amazing day. And, 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 and he never turned back after that. And, and so you know my story. The story is I have a father and a stepfather that both love Jesus. It's like that doesn't happen in our world. But here's what I really love about that. is that my kids, our kids, Ananias' kids, the only version of my dad that they know is the redeemed version. Praise God. And the only version that their kids will ever know is the redeemed version. And I got a picture. This scene was just beautiful as, it, as, as, as the kids grew up and their kids grew up. And, and one man's willingness to extend grace saved the whole genealogies of the sons and daughters of Beery. Truth of the matter is this, is as much as we give grace to others, we need to give it to ourselves. And here's where it goes south quickly. We need to take God at his word when he wrote this in Psalm 103, 12. That as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. We let the, the voices of the enemy, we let the voices of shame, condemnation that the enemy whispers to us, says, you're not good enough. You are damaged goods. If anyone ever found out about what you did, how could you ever lead men? We don't sign up. We don't serve with fear. Someone will dig something up from our past like they do with politicians. And we think, oh, no, if they find out I did that when I was 16, that I was on drugs, that, that I was promiscuous as a 20-year-old, that I left my husband and I'm in my second marriage. Some of us are afraid to tell how God has redeemed a second marriage and how this beautiful marriage that you now have with someone is so rich and so full and you're afraid to go to a marriage class because you don't think you have a voice to speak. Listen to me. Yes, you do. It's called grace. Yet it's hard for us because we let the ghosts of our past haunt us. And we all carry these skeletons around. And we feel like we're hypocrites. Like, well, I, could never, I could never tell men how to be pure because, holy cow, just six months ago, I was entrenched in pornography. I could, I could never do this because of that. I could never do this because of that skeleton. I would never be, I would never qualify. Listen, God's grace is, covers all your sin. So every day, you know what you do? You go to your closet and you get dressed. And you have a choice to make, this closet. Will I get dressed? And yeah, I like that outfit. I like that shirt. I'll put that on. And You're okay with that getting dressed physically? Yeah, yeah, I like this one. It looks good. I put this on. Yet There's also this other closet that has skeletons in them. And every day we... We have to fight. We have to capture that thought. We have to destroy it. Because it says, the word of God says, he removes the skeletons and sets us free and makes the slate clean. But you know what happens? You come here in the mornings. Hey, remember when you were 16? You're going where with youth this weekend? If they knew that you were that way, you are leading a marriage counseling group? And so we have these things called skeletons that we, 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 we hide away. And we keep them in our closets. And they haunt us. 
and you brought it to Grace Community today. You walked in, and right now you're thinking, boy, if anyone would ever find out that I did that, I could never lead worship. I could never lead a small group. And so we let these, these ghosts from our past haunt us. We let these things that Christ has already forgiven and the enemy brings them back. Instead of capturing those thoughts, we we take them with us. And and the word of God says that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so we have a choice to make. Will we keep putting the skeletons back in the closet? Or will we really believe that God has removed them? You see, I choose, and you need to choose. If you're going to be all that Christ wants you to be in 2016, then you need to extend some grace and forgiveness to yourself. See, I choose to believe God's word. And God's word says this in Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I am he who blots out your sins for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I take God at his word. I take God at his word in Psalm 103, verse 12, that says, God removes our sins from our closets. As far as the east is from the west, it's Christ's blood. And when he looks at us, God looks at us, it is the righteousness of Jesus. Listen to me. Let him remove the skeletons. Quit carrying them around. You are free by his grace. Oh, Lord, help us today. There are so many people in this room and in the link and across the world that are haunted by their past. But grace sees the sin in our lives and looks the other way. Oh, God, help us today. Help us to be husbands and wives that do that. Help us to be friends and co-workers and bosses and Moms and dads and sons and daughters, may the the, the ghosts of our past and the skeletons of our past not keep us from being all that you want us to be. Grace saves us, frees us, and forgives us. Oh God, may this be the year that we walk in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.